fire safety, sir. This entire mission is a serious misallocation of valuable military resources. Because I was inverted. All right, everyone, the red light is on and we are recording. This is Mark back for another episode of the Veteran Semi-Professional. So this is the show for you if you are trying to figure out what do I do with my hands once I can put them back in my pockets, once I can grow my hair out and start wearing these things called civilian clothes, this is the show for you. My job is to find awesome veterans who are doing wonderful things in their lives and careers after the military, interview them to figure out you know what worked for them, what didn't, try to point out maybe some speed bumps along the way for you all, and also kind of pull out some, some tools and frameworks to help you have successful, fulfilling life after the military. All right. So I'm super pumped for today's guest. Right, I've had a number of, of podcasts and I did, ran a webinar a couple months back about business acquisition. And a lot of you have demanded, like, we want more of this. We love this stuff. I didn't know this was a space. I didn't realize how approachable uh, this space was. And we have a fantastic guest on the show today to talk about what this kind of looks like, how you can kind of get started and why it's not nearly as much of a giant undertaking or you know unapproachable as you might think that it is. Okay. So John, if you can take a minute, introduce yourself. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. John Stoddard, uh, I'm an older guy. I'm 60. So I was in the Air Force from 79 to 83 because this is what my dad did. It's because my brother did. Uh, so I spent four years in there. I was stationed in Luke Air Force Base, Arizona. I worked on uh, F-4s. Uh, I was enlisted. Uh, but, you know, did a couple of good things. I got a wing air in the month. Got out of the, uh, riding on an F-4. Uh, right on. I got yellow, but I did not puke. All right. So we did some loops. I took over the controls. It was pretty nice. It was sweet. Flying at uh, over 600 miles per hour. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I bet. Um, I bet. I got out, but during that time uh, when I was in the Air Force, I, I took advantage of Reagan's VEAT program, which was if I put in a dollar, he's going to put in eight. And I tell you, as soon as I got out, I took all the uh, classes I could in the, the, the study, you know, after uh, the work study. And then I, uh, I took that money that run for VEAT. I entered uh, Northern Arizona University. And I got an engineering degree paid for by the government. So after that, I got, you know, uh, I, I got jobs at Link Flight Stimulation, which was a DOD contractor. And then I went to Silicon Valley, which is all civilian at that point, And it was working for uh, software companies for the next 20 years. So that's kind of a short, quick introduction. Yeah, yeah, super cool. And I always like to, I'd say this on probably at least every other show, if not every show. You know, my my grandfather went to school on GI Bill. My dad went to school on GI Bill. I just went to school on the GI Bill. Absolutely. If you can use the government to pay for your education, take full advantage of that. Okay. Yeah. And you're uh, just more mature and you get stuff done faster yeah. when you're in classes. Like you're, you sit in front because you know you got to pay attention, right? Everybody else is like 19 years old, smoking dope and failing out. Right. And, and and I'll tell people too, you know, so I had a guest on the show recently, uh, a guy by the name of Barrett Bogue and Barrett works with the VA. Um, he, he's doing something entrepreneurial now, but he works for the VA for like 10 years, kind of mostly focused on the GI Bill. And a fun little fact that I learned from there, you know, there's all the wonderful benefits to you as the service member or the, the veteran, you know, using your benefits. But the numbers kind of show also that for every dollar the US government spends on, you know, a veteran's education, they get 7x return on investment for that for you know, the broader US economy and everyone else. So it really pays off for everyone. So take advantage of it. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you, you got out of the Air Force. It, it, was, it was a hot minute ago. I know it was tough to get up and stand up out of that chair and, you know, 
you know, have someone who's not serving you coffee every minute anymore, John. I, I know it's tough. It's okay. Um, well, I wasn't like using this freaking thing to shine the floors <laughs> because the sergeant told me to. Right. <laughs> like, why am I turning the floors again? We just did it. Right. Shut the fuck up and do it. <laughs> I, 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 this just popped in my head out of nowhere. I, I heard a great story one time of someone in basic training of the drill sergeant told him, you got to go strip and shine the floor. And then he leaves, comes back in, and the the I don't know the soldier, airman, marine, whoever it was, was butt ass naked, shining the floor because they're like, well, you told me to strip and then shine the floor. <laughs> anyway, all right, just just a funny story to pick us off. Whatever you tell me to do, sir. Exactly, 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 exactly. Uh, so, kind of like reflecting back on that period, maybe what was some some good, bad, and ugly of that transition experience for you that you might want to point out to other people. Yeah, I, I think that you know when you get in the civilian world, you're you you, you you know you got these short wings. You don't really understand what you know, like how business works, the economy works, and how money works because you get in this four hundred dollar paycheck, which was that's what I was getting paid at the time every month, and there's some security to that. I, but I just didn't want to stay in for twenty years like my dad did, and I, I wanted to go test my metal, but. People outside in the business world, you know, they they think different, they they work differently, they they you know they talk differently, and they figure out how to build and buy and sell and grow companies and raise capital, which is completely different from what's going on in the military, right? But there are some connections because a lot of people get out of the service and they go, well, how can I build this product? And then I get a contract with the DoD, and then then they're all, you know, it makes a lot of sense then but it's a cut you know if you could do anything you come out and it goes like i, I gotta figure out how business works right whether you're in a big corporation or you're a tiny corporation or you want to buy a company you got to figure out how that works right what makes the bell ring what's the kpis of the business uh how do i buy this money how do i raise capital go to buy this company all of that stuff that's completely different. I mean, it's a new thing. And if there's anything you can do is just make sure you're curious about that. You know, I, I heard someone say this once. I, I can't remember when exactly I heard it, but it's like the mindset shift of, you know, when you're in the service to, you know, when you enter into the business world of the DOD's job is to spend money. Okay. Yeah. I was never in a budget conversation when I was was in the army. I never sat in on a budget meeting. Uh, that wasn't in my purview. Like no one ever said, you know, Captain Delaney, here's your X amount of dollars. Go spend it accordingly, right? It was just basically the kind of general theme was like more or less you have a blank check to kind of do whatever it is you want, right? Within within reason and resources and constraints and everything, right? In the business world, it's the opposite. Like you you gotta you have to make money. Like that's how a business operates. It's how you keep people employed. That's how you keep the lights on. You got to have money coming in the door for that to be a functioning organization. Yeah. And it's like a complete shift on like how you have to view the world in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the part of it is in this, uh, you know, making sure this, your business works is I, there's a uh, mentor that I used to have. He passed away, but finding a business to buy, and this is where I specialize is, is like helping people find deal flow and buy businesses is to make sure there's a hungry customer. I mean, if you're going to have a hot dog stand out there, uh, what's the most important ingredient? It's not, you know, it's not a great sign. It's not a great t- tasting hot dog. It's hungry customers, right? Somebody that needs and wants and willing to buy and has the money to pay for your product. Right, right. Yeah. And there's a there's a really important lesson there too because I, I see 
especially people who spend a lot of time in the military and then go trying to build products outside of the world of, okay, I know exactly what everyone wants and I'm just going to go build that and ignore the fact that like, okay, am I, am I putting my hot dog stand where it's in the best place to find my customer? And am I giving like them, if I, am I giving like this customer set the right kind of hot dog they're looking for? The key ingredient there being that there's a customer on the other end you got to connect with and understand, uh, you know, what their needs and wants are in order to deliver the best product or service to them. Yeah. And don't spend any money. It's like, it's called a minimum viable product, right? Right. You get this product out there and just keep testing. Like, okay, five people bought it. Great. Don't spend any more money until you get 10 people to buy it, right? Figure out if a hundred people want to buy it. Figure out if there's a market for a thousand people, because there's a lot of products out there that goes, Oh, my mom bought it. My cousin bought it. My uncle bought it. I got five customers. No, no, no. You know, you got to buy, you know, you got to see if there's a market big enough to where I, is there a business behind it? Right, right. Yeah, we'll kind of get into the, the, the more mechanics of this a, a little bit later in the show for sure. Um, okay, so you talked about, you know, you went to Northern Arizona University and then you started working in, in Silicon Valley. Like what, what was kind of like your, your entree into, into that world? Yeah, so I was working for a defense contractor. I mean, they love ex-military right. educated types. They'll take it because the, you got the credentials there. And I worked for Link Flight Simulation as a defense contractor. They built simulators for the Air Force. I worked for them for about four years. And I just said, you know what? I, I want to go to Silicon Valley. I want to just like cut off a little defense and go work in Silicon Valley. And I worked for some big corporation software companies out there. I, I worked for some small com- companies out there. It's great pay, but the cost of living is pretty high. I started working for smaller ones, uh, doing about $5 million a year. And then at that point, this was like around 2000, I got together with the CEO and I go, Let, you know, let's build a company. There's people, that's what people are doing is building a company starting from zero. So we just started tossing around ideas. Uh, and one of the ideas came to this from this kid said, Hey, you, you know what? I was thinking about starting a marketplace where we sell 3d assets that people use in games and videos, uh, because there's nothing out there like that. I go, Oh my God, that's genius. Right. Took it to CEO. That's great. You know, we put the idea together. This is how we knew we had an idea because we pitched the idea to the software company that we sold their software for. And the guy goes immediately at the trade show, I'll give you a million dollars for it. Right? <laughs> You're like, dude, it's just a pitch deck yeah. idea right now. We don't even like yeah. it, but it was validation, right? right. So right. let's go build it. So we built the software. We raised a little money. Now, not saying that was easy because that took a long time. Raising that capital to build that company almost killed the company because we had to have extra 20 people with software. There was no marketplaces out there. There was extra 20 people software just keep killing us with, you know, $60,000 salaries. Yeah. Right? And it almost killed the other company. But we built it. We launched it. We raised the capital from Intel, Advantage Capital, and Kodak. Kodak was tagging along at that time and now is uh, defunct. But their investments didn't work. So, you know, we had a marketplace out there. We put the... We say we're open and we got up tons of inventory and nothing happened, <laughs> right? No customers coming in. Maybe a guy wow. bought a $60 wireframe of a dinosaur and that was it. So it took another year. to. We were way ahead of the game. Like yeah. nobody was ready to say, oh, I'm going to go buy a wireframe from this company over here. Right? Yeah. 
we were way ahead of our skis on that point. So that we, we did that. It took another year. And at that point, like I was kind of tired. I was having disagreements. Like, you know, I was a lot younger then. I had a lot bigger ego and it was just crap wasn't working the way I wanted to work. And I just, you know, I left the company. Um, but years later, which was great, uh, uh, the big co- a big company purchases the Getty and the, uh, the company that owns Getty bought Turbo yeah. Square, the company many, many years later. Yeah. Yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. So one one thing I definitely want to point out there for everyone listening is that that moment at the trade show where like you just show someone your pitch deck and they're like, I'll give you a million dollars for us right now. Right. Yeah. And you could have easily been like, cool, man, we're going to, we're going to take your check and just walk away and go do something else. Right. Um, at the same time, you could look at that and say, okay, this guy's, if, if he's willing to just write us a million dollar check off, like what is basically just a pitch deck right now, then that's a good signal to us that like this could be something bigger and we can maybe capitalize on that. It's going to take some work and some elbow grease and everything, but there's an opportunity here. Right. Well, we said no because our original goals was how do we build a $50 million company? Yeah. That was the goal, right? So somebody offers us a million dollars. That's great. But we still wanted, we were curious enough to keep digging and figure out how to build a $50 million company. Right. And this is kind of a little bit tangential here too. I think I saw recently that Kodak is actually kind of slightly making a comeback and they're doing like industrial chemicals or something. I don't know, but yeah, they've been, they've been actually, you know, trying to go in other directions, but they stayed the course too long, too late. Oh yeah. 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 Totally. All right. So after that venture, what was, what was kind of on the docket for you? What, What did you move into after that? Yeah, I moved back. Uh, that at that point, life happens to you. Man, yeah. My mom got sick. She needed help. My pa- dad already passed away. He was in Vietnam, and he came back with an orange. Died with that. And yeah. my, at that point, my mom was sick, and and I came back to take care of her. And so that I went to work for another larger corporation into uh, into it, uh, software company. And then I just started. Like I, I, after five years, I said, "Look, I, I want to do this on my own. I want to start buying companies." So. I had, a, I had enough money from all of those other ventures to say, I'm going to go buy companies. And I tell you what, man, you, you got your ego and being too proud and you're going to overpay and you're not going to see uh, the landmines in front of you because you didn't do the right DD. And I did that. And I bought a uh, small software company that sold courses that after six months I had to shut down and overpaid for it. So this is where I'm at now learning those lessons. And I bought another company from a broker site and I didn't overpay, but I didn't do the right due diligence on the company, all the background, uh, the, the pissed off customers that weren't getting their refunds. Uh, and this came after I already bought it. So I'm still able to fix it, grow it, and it went through a cycle of up and down because I was doing a lot of pay-per-click advertising and my cost per acquisition at that time was about a hundred bucks. But Google, where I was doing most of my spend to acquire customers, went from desktop to mobile, which means that there was 20 places to bid for, went to four. My cost per acquisition went from a hundred dollars to four hundred dollars and almost killed my company. Oh yeah. 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 Can you talk a little bit, if, if you kind of remember some of the details of like that, that first deal, because that can be just always taking that first step in any type of like new venture can always be intimidating. It's like, what were you, 
did you have like a profile of business you were looking to acquire? And then how did you go about, you know, funding it, doing the diligence that you did? Yeah. Well, a lot of people start with, you know, what business can I afford? Right. And mm-hmm. then he goes, that's their upper limit. And, you know, they don't want to go below the limit. So they, that's what I can afford. But that's not always the right thinking. It's what business can I get the business to pay for? Because yeah. once the, you know, once you get bigger and bigger and bigger and you've got your mindsets completely open, the guys that are over there like KKR or all these other private equity funds, you know, they don't say what business can I afford? Like what business can I raise capital for? Because right. I can go buy a hundred million dollar company and only be worth 10 million bucks. Or I could buy a $10 million company and only be worth $500,000 because you can get the business to pay for the business. And that's kind of one of the problems I had. The first thing is, first of all, I went to a broker site. And a broker site's main purpose is to get the highest price for the business possible, right? They right. want to create an auction, multiple bidders. And I overpaid for it, right? <laughs> and then I got also got into the bad habit of, because there was an auction, there was the fear of missing out. I yeah. need to pay for this yeah. as quickly as possible. Got it. Because it's a great opportunity, right? I'm and oh, yeah, there's only four days left. Like, I got to put in my bid now. And I did that, right? And I didn't yeah. do enough due diligence on the business. And, you know, after I, you know, bought it, looked under the hood, I got all these freaking pissed off customers because the previous owner didn't pay them off. Yeah. 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 I actually I, went I, to arbitration on that to kind of like, hey, man, this guy's kind of screwed me over and we split the middle. I think especially in any type of business acquisition deal, again, we kind of go back to the the hot dog stand analogy of thinking about your customers and everything, but like you've, you got to understand like who the customer for this business is and like what issues maybe the business had with those customers. Okay. Um, one of my, you know, I made an early foray into, um, business acquisition and acquired a like very, very, very small business online that did, uh, custom pet keychains. Okay. And I was like, this is, this is the thing I'm going to do right now. Right. I then quickly realized that the type of people who order custom pet keychains are Karens and they have a very high demand for customer service that I did not want to provide. And then I was like, shit, I don't want to do this. <laughs> okay. Because it was like the the picture of, of Fido never came in the right way. The keychain never looked like they wanted it to. And I was like, I just don't care enough about this to put the time, energy, and effort into this customer service that needs to be done. And yeah. that was just a massive oversight in my part of understanding who my customer was. I had the same experience. I totally overestimated what I needed the empathy to bring to the business I bought, which was selling hearing aids online. So you're talking to people sometimes from World War II or sometimes for all the wars, like, you know, I had one customer is like, yeah. I flew B-17s and I couldn't hear out this side because I was a navigator and then the, their engines, it's the window's completely open. So I'm completely yeah. deaf on that window. But they complained, the wind, everything was, they couldn't hear perfectly like they did when they're 20. And there was so many difficulties like, ah, I'm sorry. I, uh, you know, we, hearing aids are not going to restore your hearing aid when you're 20. And I overestimated the empathy required to do that business that, for people with hearing loss, but we moved on. I mean, like I, I eventually, uh, there was a period of, like when I went through that with Google and they were, where they went from mobile, I'm mean, excuse me, from desktop to mobile, kill my business. So 
I had to figure out a new way to get customers. Um, and I came across a guy that said, yeah, you know, make videos, like find out what the top 100 questions asked are by customers and then create a video, create content about that. And I did exactly that. And then when I put that video up on Facebook, I just retargeted it. So my cost per acquisition went way down, lower than it was when I was at Google. And, but by that time, I, I fixed the business and I said, I'm kind of done. You know, I, I went from a down cycle to an up cycle. I was just tired of it. And then I listed on Empire Flippers and sold it in 72 hours. That's amazing. Yeah. Empire Flippers, for those of you who don't know, is a is a, it's a site. You can, it, it's a marketplace for. I mean, they're all online businesses that you can find for. Um, I mean, I occasionally see some for as low as like thirty grand on there, and usually uh, anywhere from there into like the multi million dollar deals. Uh, and fun fact, actually, it was also created by a veteran too. Um, been trying to. Justin and I explained or changed the messages a while back, but cool guy, super cool business. I've been following them for a while. Cool. Yeah. yeah, they focus yeah. more on uh, FBA businesses today than they do like Shopify. I think they do Shopify, but it's more FBA stuff. Yeah, yeah, a, a lot of FBA. So they have like content FBA, some some um, some SaaS stuff, but yeah, I don't think I've really really seen much Shopify stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, you spend some time like you, you kind of got your feet wet in this world of acquiring businesses and everything. Like you made a couple of deals, had some, had some failures, had some successes and everything. When did you start kind of putting together like, okay, I think you maybe have a, a, a system here that I then kind of want to put out to the world as like my unique thing that I can connect people with. Yeah. I think that took, I mean, it's still, you're, I'm still trying to figure it out and I'm, I'm probably 50 at that point uh, because then I went to helping other companies raise capital through crowdfunding reg A's uh, but what kind of, uh, what happened was, you know, I knew a CEO that I knew back in my software deals days, he was in the cannabis industry and he said, he's looking for acquisitions. So with my work on the social capital, I was building on LinkedIn. Uh, a guy said, he's like, I'm, you know, I'd like to sell my company to somebody larger. So I just put the two together and the guy from the bigger company that's doing $12 million basically just sent me uh, 500,000 shares of his company, which was at a dollar. It's like, holy crap. I just helped another company purchase another company and I made more money than I did in five five years owning my own company. There, There oh. is something deeply powerful about being just like the, the broker of information and connections sometimes. Because like there's someone out there who is looking for the right deal. They're looking for the right person, whatever it is. And they probably have so much else going on. Like they're willing to say, listen, if you bring me something good, like I'm, I'm going to compensate you for it because it is absolutely worth it to me. And yeah. I just need, to, I, I need a, I need a hunter out there to go out there and look for it. And that's absolutely a role anybody can fill. Yeah. I mean, and then I just kind of migrated. It goes like, how do I create this social capital that I still didn't know enough about the M&A world, even though I bought courses from everybody like Richard Parker, uh, Carl Allen, uh, Roland Fraser, all the guys out there that create these M&A coaching programs. I was still like trying to figure out how, how do I master this game? And then uh, I was in one of these coaching programs where, where there was a Facebook conversation going like, like, how do I get deal flow from LinkedIn? And I said, well, I use deal flow for LinkedIn all the time. I use it for myself and I use it for clients. Like, oh, what do you say? How do you start? And then I just wrote this. I said, well, I don't really have anything. It's just how I... Like 
It's just what I say. And he goes, well, I'm going to write a document, a PDF, put it up there. And I had 60 people ask for the document. It's like, <laughs> okay, there's need for this, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what if I create a webinar uh, on LinkedIn and say how to get deal flow from LinkedIn? So the first webinar I did, I just invited – this is free invites. I'm not spending any money like it. I just invited people I knew. I had 200 people register. The second one, I had 500 people register. The third one, I had about 200 people registered. Just in three months, I go like, oh, my God, there's demand for this. I'm just going to create a course called the Deal Flow System, which was how to use LinkedIn to find deal flow, right? And that's gone pretty good over the last three months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, also, I want to point out something to everyone who's listening right now, because I know, especially maybe if you're still in, LinkedIn can have this like aura about it. It can feel slimy. It can feel like people are like, oh, LinkedIn's bullshit. Don't go in there. Don't use it. All this stuff. And then I think especially in like the veteran world, there's all these like veteran transition gurus who like to post all kinds of stuff and it can just, it can get old and tiring. Okay. Two things I want to point out there. One, whatever your social media feed is, is up to you to figure out what's going to go in and out of it. Like you have decision-making authority on like what's going to come to you. So you can cut bullshit out that you don't want and you can curate, you know, like that's, that's how I ended up connecting with you. I don't know what exactly the mechanisms or algorithms that work, but I was like, oh, what this guy came to me. He looks super cool. I should, I should see about having him get on the show. Um, I can learn from him. Awesome stuff. And the other end too, I think John's a great example of someone who like you've been able to like create a new business, make all kinds of connections, do wonderful things through LinkedIn. And it is a terrific tool that I encourage people to have the framework of thinking of it as a tool. And if you use that tool in the right way, it can absolutely reap rewards for you. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Like, it, it, look, I'm a veteran and somebody reaches out to me on LinkedIn. I, I'm not even going to, you know, second guess their connection request. It's to accept if they're a veteran because, you know, there's a little bit of community from us that you guys signed on the dotted line to, you know, give it to your country. So I'm going to help you, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 So I, I want to put that like mindset shift out there for, for any of you listening who, who think like LinkedIn is this, this dirty thing. Okay. Because you can use it. If you use it the right way, it can be amazing for you. Okay. Yeah. Just going to put that out there. Yeah. 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 You know, I have some buddies that, you know, were, you know, own the magazines, the police one and stuff. They got kicked out because he was pretty harsh, you know, but it, but it was all during the uh, BLM days of the riots. And he basically is all poor media company got kicked off on LinkedIn because of what the crowd said. Like, yeah, you don't have to take those extreme. And let's say it wasn't extreme. It's just, it doesn't work on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's totally that too. Like the, the, the voice and stuff you put out and the, the, the content and like your, your message and everything you point out on different platforms has to kind of tailor to like whatever that platform and what people are coming to that platform to engage with. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm sure you work with a number of people who are new to this idea of acquiring businesses. Okay. Yeah. I know like when I first came to it, like when I first heard of it, I was like, you know, I don't have $5 million sitting in the bank. Like I can't just go buy a business. What, what's kind of like your, your, your words of encouragement, your thoughts, like your, your, what do you do to like shift that mindset and a framework to say, this is not as unapproachable as you might think that it is. Yeah. It, you shift the question. How do I buy that business that's doing five million? It's all mindset first, right? So you don't know how to do it, right? How do you learn? 
you go to people that already know how to do it, right? Either it's going to be through books, it's going to be through coaching, it's going to be through having a mentor. Whatever that lesson comes from, you're going to, you want to learn more about that. You want to be very curious about how do I buy a business, right? Okay, so I have a little money, so I was in the uh, Marines, so I, you know, I want to buy this $5 million business. How do I do that, right? So you need deal flow, right? First, you're going to go find businesses that are for sale, or you're going to go ask businesses that are not for sale, but you ask them, it goes, would you be interested in selling? Because at some point in their lifetime, they're going to go through a divorce. They're going to go through kids. You know, they want to spend more time with their kids. They're going to have health reasons. They just want to get off the merry-go-round, right? Yeah. Everybody does that on this planet. And you just want to find them on the right time and say, would you be interested in selling? Great. Then you're, because you bring that knowledge of, well, what is a manufacturing business doing $5 million a year with, let's say 500,000 a profit, what's that worth? It's exactly what the comparables are worth. It's just like the house next door to you, right? The house is going to get $300,000 because the house two days ago, the same you know, platform sold for $300,000. So you say, well, I can give you 3X for that, right? 3X meaning 3X times the $500,000. So it's worth 1.5 million. Like, oh my God, well, how do I... I raise that capital. It's not, I don't need 1.5 million from you, but I, there's a lot of places out there that will lend you $1.5 million. But sometimes like how you structure it, because if you, if the guy selling the company was a Marine was in uh, Vietnam, he goes like, Hey man, great. I'll give you seller finance it. I'll give you 60% of the business to seller finance it. So now all you have to do is come up with, you know, $600,000. My math might not be right, but that's what I mean. Now you all have to do is raise $600,000. Then you look at the company and goes, oh, my God, you got a lot of assets. I could borrow from that or uh, I can go to the SBA or I can go to a lender. Or I can go find a friend that's a rich friend. So this is you ask questions. How can I buy? It's a mind shift. Yeah. 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 And I'll, I'll make a quick plug too, just because I literally just published the episode today we're recording. So we're recording on uh, July 15th right now. And I just published an episode um, with Will Militello. I'm, I might have butchered his last name there, but he started a company called Local Vest. Okay, and it's basically a platform for veterans to go raise capital. Okay, um, kind of the basic idea. He like brings in a lot of high net worth veterans on there who are looking for other veterans to invest in, whether it be for startup, for business acquisition, for you know. A uh, real estate deal, whatever it may be, it's a great way for you to try and find capital in that way, and they'll, they'll kind of work with you to like pair up the offering and make it look good and everything. But the 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 mindset shift of like how do I make this happen versus I can't do this is so important because man, like like money is there and people like want to find deals like this, right? And if you do the work to like find the right deal and like negotiate the terms and everything, like you can you can, you can make a killing for a bunch of people and yourself involved. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all mindset about what you can do, and once you get that first one down, and you're 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 doing it, finding the second one, third one, and you've got a reputation for buying businesses, it happens a lot faster. Yeah, yeah, and have, have most of the businesses that you've been involved in the acquisition process, they've like all been online, like software, like I shouldn't say software, but like online businesses. 
Yeah, for me, it has been online businesses. Now, the business that I introduced to the cannabis company was an offline business manufacturing business. But, uh, you know, I never touched it, never visited, kind of the put that deal together. So I, I like online businesses. I'm a software guy because that's what I, you know, when I got out of the Air Force, I went to engineering school and then I just software fascinates me. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'll say too there, I mean, there's plenty of online businesses that you don't need to be a coder to know how to run and operate. Okay. Um, there are plenty of business so, you know, online businesses out there. They were, you do, but there's also plenty you don't. So don't let that intimidate you. And I, I like to bring up this kind of, you know, class of businesses as well. Um, you're probably stationed all over the world in the military and like you want to go live somewhere else or whatever. And you don't want the constraints of location and everything in this world where, you know, think some things are removing remote hybrid, whatever getting into this like online business acquisition space can be a great way to have, you know, successful life and also kind of be able to live wherever you want because everything's online. Yeah. I, you know, I think that there's a lot of parallels. You said that, you know, if, feeling like you have the imposter syndrome coming out of the military. Like, dude, if you were in charge of a team of people, you know who the best operators are, right? Because you trust them. They can do the job right. It's the same thing going to a a group of coders. Like, do I trust them? And can they do the job? There's there's so many parallels right there. Right, right. So I'm curious. I mean, I know you're you're, you're in the process right now of – me looking from the outside in very much more on like kind of like the, the coaching services side of business acquisition. Are, are you still out there kind of sourcing, doing deals for yourself as well? Absolutely, man. I just yeah. uh, visited a company yesterday. It's a local company and it's something that I, uh, I've been looking at it for a year, but I went through this. I stopped looking at it cause I went through this prostate cancer period, all the chemo got it cut out and I'm back to health, hundred percent health. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, and they they came back to me because they hey John we'd we'd like to sell so they came back to me I made a good impression they came back yeah. to me. so they're doing they did five hundred thousand dollars in total income that's top line and they did two hundred and twenty thousand net that's bottom line so it's a mm-hmm. really profitable company uh, I I like the business I want to try to figure out where I don't have to work in the business right I want a general manager working that because. I want to acquire, like Warren Buffett does, a bunch of businesses like a holding company and be in charge of the CEOs, the presidents. I'll be the CEO and they, they're the presidents or general managers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think this, this idea of like that, the, like the model of the holding company is, I think that alone is something I kind of, I want to I- explore a little bit more for the audience. Cause I think you yeah. can think that, okay, if I had to buy a small business, then like I have to be the person operating and running this at all times. And you don't. You can find someone else to do that, okay? And then you can shift to a position like you're not going to be taking away as much income necessarily from that business as you might be if you're like you're the only person running it. But then guess what? Like now you have the freedom of of time, energy, and effort to go apply it to other things, and you have this this income stream coming in that doesn't involve you having to be you know working eighty hours a week in this one thing. You can kind of diversify yourself across a couple of different things, and I think like that kind of top level management is super attractive. And I think very underrated for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know if this is a correction or something, but once you own the business, I mean, it is your business. Like what you pay yourself, it's whatever you want that to be. I mean, I have a friend that runs a family office and he's, 
they bought a company. They were looking at a company doing 50 million and the guy paid himself a lot of money, like a million because he owned the business. Yeah. Right. That's a completely different thinking. I mean, if you think like, Oh my God, if I own the business, pay myself a million bucks is a lot different than when it was 1982 and I was making $400 and $12 a month from the U S air force. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a game changer. And, and I think it's important to think too, as the, the owner of like, once you get into like that, that ownership mindset, there are lots of people who don't want to be the owners. They don't want to be a decision maker. They don't want to have like the responsibility on them. Okay. And if you're willing to accept a little bit more of that risk for yourself, a little bit more, um, hell, like a little bit more on your plate, a little bit more risk on there. Like you can find the right person who maybe just wants a little piece of the pie and is just looking for the kind of that more steady thing. Right. And then, you know, work yourself out where you're paying yourself a, a fantastic uh, your income from whatever that business is, even though you're not directly involved in it. Yeah. And you know, you're that type of person. If you were in the service and you were managing people on the highest level and they stuck around you because they trusted you and admired you, you know, you could do that in the civilian world. 100%. 100%. Even if you weren't, you know, a, a brigade commander or division commander or whatever, and you were just a, you know, fire team leader out there, and you, you, but your machine gunner wanted to work for you and knew where to go and everything, that, that amplifies to higher levels as well. Okay? Yeah. Because there are millions of businesses out there that are just doing a million or $5 million that are looking for somebody that's great and managing people who can get the best out of people. Yeah, I, I will tell you, I've had a number of small, um, either individual investors who are just looking to make a small business acquisition. Like they probably only do like one or two deals a year, uh, and then a couple of smaller, you know, PE type firms that are, you know, probably trying to do more than that. And they've reached out to me, being like, "Listen, we want operators for these businesses. We want people who can run these things. Can you connect us with veterans?" And by the way, like. Not not just because like, you know, go America, yellow ribbon tied around the tree, support the troop kind of thing. They're like, you have the skill sets we want. You can step in and start leading this team. And like we have the standard operating procedure set. We can help you if you don't understand, you know, the, the finance and accounting and everything. Like we have the, the the people who know how to do that. We need someone who's ready to step in and lead because yeah. we want to keep buying more of these things. And you guys are a great fit for that. Yeah. I think you're referring to search funders. But SearchFunder is the whole thing. There's a site called SearchFunder.com, which is basically matching private equity firms, investors with operators. And all they want you to do is go find a good deal, right? A deal that's $5 million or $25 million, it's profitable, and they have a motivated seller. Because they would like to buy that. They would like to put up their own money, give you a piece of the business, like 5 or 10%. You manage it. Um, because the risk of running that business is kind of removed because it's a older, mature, more mature business. They're just looking for a great operator. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. They're, they're, there's a search fund model of investing someone to then, you know, do the search and acquire. There's also people who are like, listen, we're going to do the search and acquire. We just want someone to run it. Like yeah. we, we need a general manager to come in. And like, I've had some people reach out to me on, on, on both ends of that spectrum for like looking for the searcher, but then also we're doing all that process. We need someone to just step in and run this thing. And there's there's yeah. opportunities in the full spectrum there. Yeah, yeah. There's, the, that, there's both. There's a lot of ways to do that. And if you just want to own 100% of the business, just figure out how to raise the capital uh, or finance the business and you can go out there and kill it. Right. I, I always like to tell people the story too of a, you know, a guest I had on a, a while back, a guy by the name of John Hubbard. And he was uh, 
you know, enlisted grunt in the army, gets out. He was working as a cop. And one of his buddies was like, hey, man, you should look into this business acquisition thing. All right. He goes on searchfunder.com, posts, I'm an army vet. I'd like to buy a business near Tampa. And he said the next morning, he had like 60 emails from investors being like, dude, let, let's meet up. I'm ready to write you a check. Okay. Uh-huh. He then goes, you know, meets with one investor. They go out for, for uh, wings and beer. Within 20 minutes, the guy was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready to write you a 300K check r- right now. Can you talk to me about Afghanistan? Because that sounds super cool. I'd like, to, I'd like to hear more of your story. All right. I say all that to say that this world is not as intimidating as you might think that it is. Okay. And there are people, uh, this can be a great asset class, both for like you as the individual to you know get income in. And then there's investors out there who also see the potential here who are looking for you. Uh, yeah. And then, oh, by the way, too, I'll also add that you know, service-disabled veteran-owned businesses, they need a service-disabled veteran to come in and, and run it afterwards. And like, that's a huge challenge in their transition plan. And it's a little bit different than like the, the online software companies and everything, but there's a space there as well that I just want to put on people's radar. Yeah. I mean, the, it, like you can get really rich from just the boring businesses. Right? 100%. You know, you got to keep the HV, the air conditioning on in Arizona. It's 96 degrees. If I didn't have air conditioning, somebody here, like you can get rich from that. Keep it that. Yeah. Are, yeah. 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 Well, well, John, we're, we're winding down to the, the last few minutes of the show. Um, so one, before we get to the official close out, where can people find out more about you, what you're doing and, and what your, what your offerings are? Yeah. Just go on LinkedIn. I, uh, you know, I, I, I took over a group at veteran business owner, uh, mastermind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm running that on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for John Stoddard, J O N S T O D D D A R D on LinkedIn connect with me. Tell me you heard Mark's show uh, and we'll connect. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, cool. So before we get into the last little bit, there's a question I always ask my guests when they come on. Okay. And that's if you think back to your time in the Air Force, what was the best and or worst chow hall you ever ate at? Uh, well, I didn't move around too much. Like uh, I was in Chanute and then uh, in uh, Luke Air Force Base. Uh but I, I got to tell you, I love the omelets, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, 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 there's just nothing quite like that cafeteria omelet. It, it really does just, just hit every time. I don't know. It yeah. was like they put the kitchen sink in there and like, oh, damn, I, I just never would have thought to cook this stuff. But you like, you put beef and vegetables and cheese in there and then all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Super cool. Well, John, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Appreciate your time today. Um, just want to pass it back over to you for any, any last thoughts, parting shots you want to give out to the crowd as they're trying to figure out this you know crazy world of post-military life. Yeah. It's, it's all mindset. And if you, if you don't know how to do something, uh, find something that, ha- that has model them, then you will become them. It, it really is that easy. It, it really is. I mean, if you find like the right person, like they've, They've probably gone through the same struggles that you're trying to figure out early on. And oh, by the way, like, you know, it, it's a very easy ask to ask for help. Okay. And so many different things. But, I, you know, I got to tell yeah. you, like, how easy is like if you're a veteran and it goes, hey, man, I, I just spent uh, two tours in Iraq and you want to, I was just looking for your advice on something. Can I meet with you? 99% of the time, they're going to say yes. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, d- definitely agree with that. The, the vet net is real and it is powerful. All right. Well, John, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Lots of good wisdom in here for, for the crowd. Really appreciate your, your time and, and what you're doing out there. Um, so thanks for coming on. 
enjoy the rest of your weekend. And for those of you who are still listening, uh, you know, please like, subscribe, listen to the show and share it with your friends and please leave a review too. It's also super helpful for me and then helping other people find it. So yeah. John, thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. You do a better job of that closing off than I do on my show. <laughs> I don't always do that. You caught me on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I say, hey, thanks for being on and I'll click on right off. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's, it's more often than that. That's what I do. All right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Appreciate man. your time. All right.